Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 80, and I am thrilled to have a fellow American Studies teacher now turned into college basketball head coach, Luke Yaklich, the head men's basketball coach at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, but before we get to Coach Yaklich, uh, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiro- Chiropractic. You can give Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi a call at 402-964-0300 or, have them, or go check out their practice at COSACChiro.com. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, we try to put out daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, you're listening, so you're on iTunes, so download, rate, and review. Give us five stars so we can get the word out to gain momentum in the ratings and help coaches hone their craft. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin gmail at gmail.com. And, of course, check out the website, a pen and a napkin.com. We are knee-deep into a pen and a napkin university. Uh, it's exciting. We're, we're excited to have all the support for that, and we are looking forward to it. But before we even talk about that, we are looking forward to talking to Luke Yaklich, the head men's basketball coach at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Coach, how are you doing this evening? I'm uh, doing great. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on and uh, looking forward to talking some hoops and enjoy uh, enjoy the Twitter follow uh, all the time. Uh, one of, uh, well, not one, many of things that are, are, are favorited uh, by myself over the the course of the day as I'm uh, going through and looking to, uh, to learn and grow myself. Well, I'm uh, honored and humbled uh, when I when I saw that you that you followed out of nowhere, I was like, okay, who, which one of my friends is kind of clowning with me here, you know, a little bit. And, uh, I, I, I'm just, uh, uh, very, uh, like I said, honored and humbled that, uh, you've been as supportive of the, of everything that we've done. And, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we'll end up having here, uh, this evening. So, um, probably the most important question I'm going to ask you all night, I'm going to lead with this coach. And as a lifelong or not quite lifelong, but born and raised Chicagoan, uh, and this may be the make or break moment in the entire pod. Cubs or White Sox? I'm a North Sider Cubbies. My wife's actually at the uh, Cubs game uh, with some of her friends tonight. <sighs> okay, so we can move forward then. We can we let's can move forward. Agree to disagree. No, no, no. We're I'm good. You're a Cubs fan. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, I gotcha. The the five the five greatest days of my life. My wedding. Yep. The 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 three days that my children were born and November the second two thousand sixteen, and there I'm not go. going to tell you what order they're in. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's good. Been been up been a Cup fan my whole life, and so is uh, my wife. So it's fun. Yeah, yep. So uh, we may lead with the intro instead of my regular uh, regular music. I might put on Go Cubs Go just to just to just to really cap off the event. So, but let's with talk the- some let's talk some basketball here. Uh, we don't want to uh, get too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, you know, Coach, a lot of people are familiar with your biography and, and, and what you've done and kind of your uh, rise in the in the coaching world here, especially the last dozen years or so. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to go into the Wayback Machine. Uh, you're, you know, this podcast and, and the Twitter handle and most of the stuff that I do is geared towards the high school coach, not to say that there's not a lot of things that college coaches could borrow from it. Uh, but you are, are at heart a, a high school basketball coach uh, that just kind of you know, uh, through your own hard work, but with a couple of connections here and there, uh, you're kind of living the dream of, of a lot of us here. And uh, I just wanted to kind of go back to your days uh, at Illinois State. You were, a, you were a student manager there, and you went straight into uh, being a high school coach, a girls basketball high school head coach. Um, going into that, uh, or as you got into that, I should say, uh, what were some things that maybe um, a two part question? What were some things that you really felt like you were really, really prepared for? And part B of that is if you had to do it over again, what would you have prepared yourself a little bit more for? Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's a great question. It's one that I've reflected on uh, often because as I mentor, uh, you know, graduate assistants and, and managers uh, that, you know, I, I, I serve. Uh, and help each day it's 
I, I think the the main thing with the high high school coaching at the start was uh, I just had a you know I just had an in, intense um, and, and pretty focused desire from the time I was. Uh, I want to say about 16 years old, I I just knew I wanted to go into coaching. And then Mm -hmm. two years later, um, I went and became an AAU coach, uh, started an AAU organization in our town, coached um, uh, my junior high where I went uh, to school. Um, And I just I just loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just had I I had a passion for it. And I think the the key thing for me is that, you know, I I I chased that 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 passion and um, it was, uh, I, I really, you know, really felt he was teaching five classes a day, coaching three sports and, um, you know, but I, it was never work. And mm-hmm. that's been the, the fun part for me. And then as I got into coaching, um, you know, out of college, the, the key thing, you know, I took from, from being a manager, um, is that, you know, I was around coach Stallings at, at Illinois state. And then when I went into to high school coaching, there were times that I tried to like, I tried to take everything I learned at Illinois state and then kind of apply it instead of really look at like what my team was about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like coach Stallings ran the secondary break, the old Kansas, because he was at, he was with Roy Williams and, um, at Kansas. So I just like, okay, this is the only way it goes. And I, I think that the best part for me was when I started going, to Nike clinics, the old Ed Jank and Nike clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I just like you just got a whole brand new experience, and you have that just that energy and, uh, and to be a sponge. So I, I think the the key thing looking back is that number one, when I look at my old files as a as a high school coach, and when I went went to LP LaSalle Peru High School, then to Sterling High School, way too many dang rules. <laughs> And I, I tell you, it was like I, you wanted to have a culture that was tight, and and you, 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 your guys and girls were they were they were locked in. But it, it ain't about having a bunch of rules. Uh-huh. Um, you got to have some standards, and then you got to live out those standards and core values every day. And it's like as a Division One assistant or a head coach, it's I have less rules right now than I ever did as a as a softball girls coach at LP High School. So <laughs> it's uh, that part was. Uh, you know, you just rule yourself to death and you back yourself into a corner and you end up chasing your tail all the time for every little thing. And, uh, th- that was a, a big thing. And then again, with the, with the whole system, um, y- you have to be able to adapt, uh, to the talent that you have. And that's what I quickly learned as a high school coach is that, you know, you got the two six, six kids as a freshman, that boy look like they're going to be big kids. And, it's you're going to offense is going to change because at the varsity level you got six four and under team that uh, that's going to you know play five out and, and spread it. So I, I think each year you have to have like a core philosophy for what you do, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to be adaptable. And every high school coach knows that that you, you just have to change each year. And that's a big big thing that I think I, I took away from the learning experience in those first two or three years that still apply today. Um, for what for what we're doing at UIC and uh, my experience is going into each kind of university that I spent time at trying to adapt uh, different things to fit personnel so that's uh, kind of a long long answer to that but I think it's uh, there's some like tr- trigger points along the way for me that um, really um, became learning points gotcha um, I, I think all of that makes sense I think we all come in with you know, when we're younger, we come in with all of these things that we want to do. And we think it's about, you know, this play and that play. And I'm going to take this, like you said, from Kevin Stallings, who took it from Roy Williams, and I'm going to do this and this and that. uh, Where as we get older, it seems like we we take all of that and about 80% of what we used to run 15 years ago, as you get into like your 15th year as a head coach, you're down to only about 20% of what you were trying to do when you just started. I know that's true with me. I'm sure that's probably about the same thing with you, isn't it, Coach? Uh, for sure. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, simplification is, um, is, 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 I've said many times, uh, the greatest uh, form of sophistication is simplicity. Um, I, I think it's the, the thing that makes everybody great you have to have a few key tenants that you're really good at that are non-negotiables 
and then you really uh, kind of mix and match along the way um, to fit what you have, uh, your personnel in front of you. Mm -hmm. Two history teachers talking here tonight, um, American Studies, uh, but, uh, you know, you were in the classroom for quite a while. Uh, You're an accomplished high school teacher. Uh, what, What are the important things that you need to make sure you take of take care of as a classroom teacher before you even start worrying about the the coaching aspect of things and and what are some things that maybe you know we get so locked in and uh as coaches thinking about this play or this set or whatever it may be but what what are the correlations between being a great teacher in the classroom and a great teacher in the gymnasium uh i think beginning with the end in mind is a is a key thing um i i it's a Stephen Covey principle, but for me, it just made a lot of sense. I, you know, as a, as a history teacher in particular, um, and working with a co-teacher in an American Studies class, for you know, for me, it was just like, where do we want to, these, you know, our students to end? Um, and then, you know, working backwards, then um, how much time are we going to devote to certain things? Um, and then framing, you know, the objectives and you know kind of your standards that uh, that you want to uphold and then you know walking into the the classroom after the, that seventh hour bell rang is very similar it's like you know what what do we want uh, to accomplish today okay let's begin with the end in mind we got a two-hour practice here and um you know for us it was always working backwards and, and mm-hmm. making sure that at the same time having a, a routine um, and without getting monotonous about it, I think there's a, a pace and um, to, to a practice. And part of the plan is that I think each, every student and every um, student athlete then in, in the gym, I think they have to have um, some semblance of that there's an order and a plan every day that we're going to work on. So whether that's, um, okay, we're going to start with this activity to start class, but then we're going to do this um warm-up activity in the classroom and you keep going um you know back and forth with those ties from the classroom um to the court it's about how 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 are you able to connect from a relationship standpoint to each of the students because there's parts of the game that student athletes don't love and embrace as much as you want them to Mm -hmm. just as the american studies class there's students in there that you know they're looking at you and say i dare you to get me excited about history <laughs> uh, i dare you and uh you know as, as uh, one of my colleagues said probably oh man probably 15 or 16 years ago now they said you got out crazy every now and then <laughs> and uh, you know there's that's the passion that i i think that you have to come across with each and every day so that passion that i walk into the gym with is the same um you know in a in, in tone is different obviously in the classroom but it there was a passion for history and i think not being uh, apologetic as a teacher for um, what you're trying to teach them um, or what you're trying to get out of um, the classroom or the uh, on the court. I think never apologizing for your passion and then having an accountability um, framework that, um, you know, is consistent and fair um, on a day-to-day basis is something that also provides that sense of order um, for student athletes. Cause I, I think students and, and athletes both alike, um, you know, in the classroom and on the court that by and large kids want, they, they want discipline and, uh, and love and, uh, they go where there's discipline, they stay where there's love. And if you provide a discipline atmosphere, um, and kids know, man, coach, Mr. Yaklich, Coach Yaklich, they he cares about me, and he may I may not like everything he does, but he pushes hard. He's got he's passionate about what he's doing every day, um, and he's trying to help me get better. I think over you know, the long haul, ninety you know, to ninety five percent of the kids that you interact with in the court in the classroom, they're going to respond to what you're doing because they know you're genuine and everything that you do is coming from a good place. I have never gotten that look from any of my students that says, dare me to get excited about history. <laughs> Only about, I don't know, 40, 50 times a day. Uh. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lesson in diligence, though. But at the same time with teaching, you get off that yellow bus uh, after a loss on a road, a road loss on a Tuesday, and you got to teach that 8 a.m. world history class. Like it's, it's one of the things I, I 
my my first principle always said as success in you know in this business uh, you just have to pretend each day that you're walking in that classroom each day that you're walking into the court and just pretend that your son or daughter's on that team mm-hmm. and uh, you know what type of effort and what type of um, you know plan are you going to have prepared if that was the case so kind of just developed that mantra and that just that 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 passion every day kind of fueled fueled what I want to do, and I think it's an important lesson for you know for everybody, young coaches, and that that uh, kind of embrace uh, the process and be where your feet are. Um, and kind of everybody wants to get like need to get the next spot, next spot, next spot. Yeah, the grass is greener where you water it, and uh, I think that's a, a lesson that I really would implore to a lot of uh, you know just just young people um, is just pretend that each job that you have is is the one that you're going to retire from and um, I, I think it's a it's a good perspective because you do a great job at the one you're at that lesson that uh, that practice that program is going to grow and eventually um, you know you get rewarded by uh, you know by different things uh, along your career path last non basketball random question everything else has to do with basketball but we're talking about history and i have to ask you this as one history nerd to another the five here's the rules to the question they have to be dead five people in u.s history that you would love to talk to but the rule is they have to be dead gotcha good question thought about this not not probably to five but um Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go start with. Um, I think just anybody, uh, a random one, would be any any um, any soldier that uh, that that was was a part of um, you know, world each of the world wars. Okay. I, I think uh, having that perspective, um, as well as uh, the civil wars. It, I always have appreciation for for the military um, mm-hmm. and studying U.S. history. Um, so having that perspective uh, would be great. Um, and then I, I think um, the you know the easy one uh, for me uh, you know would would have to be you know, going back to Abraham Lincoln um, and and the Civil War and that 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 entire time period. Um, Dr. King for sure. Um, oh, okay. On uh, on my list, and then um, boy, there's so many um, <laughs> that it, uh, the route that I could go on. But my, I've got a a, a time period that uh, I, I'd love teaching that Gilded Age area era. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's the just the the average, um, you know person uh, in in u.s history um at that time what they were going through um on a day-to-day basis uh, mm-hmm. is is always uh just fascinating to me and that that's the, the best part about uh, i think for me in history is trying to you know i'm sure you did the same thing as you're trying to get each student to no matter what uh, their background uh is to see themselves at some point in um, in U.S. history and and how that uh, how, how who they are um, was formed mm-hmm. um, and, uh, throughout throughout that that time period. So it's kind of a uh, very political answer right there. I'm going to give you, but uh, okay. those are my th- that's kind of the, the that's direction. Your, that's uh, your list. I'm go. Yep. Yep. Uh, I I put together a list and I had advance notice of the question because I'm the one that wrote it, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Lincoln was on my list. Yep. Uh, I had John Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Franklin. Okay. Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. And probably the guy I'd be most intrigued to talk to, Robert E. Lee. Interesting. Just how his mind worked and, and mm-hmm. what he was thinking and how he would, you know, adjust his battle plans to, to different, you know, situations and things like that. Uh, I just think he'd be a really interesting guy to talk to. So, um, but that, okay, that's, that's all the history talk we'll have coach. Uh, we've, we've, uh, all the, all, all, right. all, all the science teachers, all the English teachers are like, okay, enough with the history nerd talk stuff right. guys. All right. But, uh, what we are going to talk about though is a pen and a napkin university.
Pen and Napkin University is a series of courses designed to help any coach at any level to hone their craft in the offseason, starting this week, the first full week of July, to help develop your coaching skills. The four courses are Personal Growth and Development, Building Your X's and O's Philosophy, Building Your Program, and Fundamentals and Drill Work. Each course is seven weeks long with a new topic each week to dive into. The best thing about a Pen and Napkin University is its flexibility. You can sign up for a weekly topic, an entire course, or the entire program. It's whatever fits your schedule and your budget. To register for one or all 28 topics, go to a penandanapkin.com today. This week, our topic will be communication with your parents and your administrators, which never comes up ever in coaching, especially with high school sports. And I mean, it comes up in college coaching as well. So check out a pen and a napkin university. Um, you made the transition about, was it 2013 coach from being a high school coach to, to getting the offer at Illinois state? Wasn't that was about it, right? Uh, correct. Yep. Okay. What was the, uh, what was the, the hardest or perhaps the most, uh, unexpected aspects of the transition going from a high school coach to a college coach? Uh, having to sit the, uh, the entire game. <laughs> uh, that, that took a while I'm to get this completely honest that was a struggle um it was really it, it was 15 years of doing that that was a struggle um and, and just having the, the second thing i struggled with my you know my wife would be the first to tell you that the, it was just the idea of not having a team even though you you were an assistant coach just not having a team and, and kind of that program where you were making decisions and you were building like I had to really transition my mindset into um you know how do I do that as mm-hmm. an assistant coach and uh that that took some time but you know it was great having you know coach Muller was great with that um that as soon as I kind of learned the college scheme and landscape um of the day-to-day kind of just rhythm um I ended up getting being able to find my my way around that but uh that was it was, it was very difficult um at the start and i miss teaching as well um a lot mm-hmm. um, that was uh that was not not being able to teach and and have, have that connection with uh, with students was very difficult but then i i quickly transitioned into you know being in charge of all academics at at illinois state with our in our program and that kind of gave me that 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 fix there and mm-hmm. and that uh, that foundation of what you know i went into education for but th- those three things um immediately come to mind um during during that time period okay um i've had a couple of friends that have gone from high school coaching to college coaching and they said that's one of the things they actually missed was the teaching part of it and just getting to know all the students on campus and yeah. having those personal relationships and and i had never really thought about that but i i think it is very true that you you do miss you know you, you're very close-knit with your team but you you don't have that daily interaction with uh the 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 girls tennis players or just the kid right. that's that's playing the trombone in the band or whatever it may be you know absolutely yeah so um, so you, you, uh, in your, in your college career here, you've, you've worked for, for three different guys. And I kind of want to go a little rapid fire here on this. Yeah. Uh, one or two big things that you, that you learned from each one of the three guys that you worked with at the college level. We'll start with, uh, Dan Muller at Illinois state. Uh, you know, what, what were one or two big things that you took from him when you were now working for somebody else? Um, immediately was uh, just being able to uh, and it, it, it dele- being able to delegate um, and 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 hold staff accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Dan was good with that and laying out laying out our roles and um, and following up and then um, really good at um, you know, it took from Dan and still use it today is um, just really does being being really thoughtful about how laying out the schedule um and development of, of your team um from a from a schematic standpoint uh, you know how how wanted to play offensively and defensively um dan gave a lot of thought to that we had a lot of discussions about it so that was good um and then just you know, developing um dan, the third thing dan just involving the alumni and connecting with the alumni um 
was was really strong and he had obviously been a illinois state grad um and an alum and, and played there but it was just that 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 was a feeling of pride and it's actually what uh, one of the main agendas that we have going on this summer is connecting reconnecting with our uic alumni uh here and getting them back in the gym so those are three things there and um moving you know with coach b it was uh it was culture um uh, like coach b was was every everybody knew it and lived it mm-hmm. um and it and and when i say lived it it was just it was it, it's just a it, it was it was powerful uh, for lack of any other term his the culture because he, he, he recruited to the culture and recruited to a system um and a style of play um but the the culture was just it was every day mm-hmm. and it was lived out and I, you know with all of coach p everybody talks about his terminology and his system but is as complicated and as weird and at times quirky as the words were uh-huh. that he used um everybody like knew him mm-hmm. and it was fairly quick to learn and uh you know, case in point for me was that you know I remember the first meeting we're going through waffles and donuts and all these pivots and different names that we're having and I met Duncan Robinson and Mo Wagner just you know kind of pulled me aside say hey coach you know we we know we understand Coach B you got anything just just let me know and we'll we'll help you <laughs> and it was like it, but it was like senior lad like Mo was a junior and uh, Duncan was a senior and it it was like it was just here two guys coming up and. And hey, to take care of you. Well, the only reason that was because of culture. So was there, there was an on-the-court culture where people knew how they were going to play offensively and what his terminology was. And then defensively, you know, had a chance to formulate that culture um, What in my time there, which leads me to the other thing with Coach B is that he was a, a, a constantly learning. Like there was no, no one way to do it. There was, um, you know, he'd be watching um, – the women's practice and we pick up something that we we'd incorporate into a game plan or into a drill and it was just everybody everybody had a voice in the office uh and you know it was his job to disseminate what we we're going to do but everybody had a voice and there was never like hey this is the only way we're going to ever do anything um and then there was the off the court culture where it was you know there were six core values we recruited to we knew them and it just remained constant and um, there would be some change here and there when it fit, but the culture was the culture, and it was lived out, and that's really a, a huge takeaway there. And he was committed to it. And it was just refreshing for me as a former high school coach that you know Coach B was a history teacher as well, and it was just it was simple. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to work on passing and catching every day. Mm-hmm. So the third thing with Coach B would just be it was going to be fundamentals, like. We're not going to apologize for, you know, working on pivots today, or we're not going to apologize for how to catch the basketball and be ready to shoot, or how to deliver the perfect pass. Like there's, there's no apologize. This is how we're going to do it because it helps you win games. Mm-hmm. And um, then with Coach Smart, um, it just uh, Coach Smart just he had intense passion for the game, and you know he is like incredible with relationships with with the players and spends time with the players um and and invests in them as people and really gets to know them um in the recruiting process and then even more so obviously when they get on campus and then was really big into culture um as well but it was just a a different type of culture and that was what was you know was neat it's just that there's a lot of different ways to do things and the emphasis on certain things in a culture versus you know what coach b did versus coach smart did both successful um and but it just was it was it was it was a different type of culture and then i think coach coach smart was um you know just really really good at at compartmentalizing things there was you know some pressure um that year um you know just around the program, mm-hmm. you know, to win and um, to, to take a next step. And coach was always just, he was getting cool and calm and collected and 
Um, never let anything show to the players or the staff. And, you know, it's one of the things that I asked him about this year when, you know, we had gone through um, a rough patch of the season. I was just like, how, how'd you do that, coach? Because you went through different rough times and it just, yeah. you know, there's a, there, he had a focus and, a, and an approach from on a personal level that uh, he just kept kind of tried to keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing was the team. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is great information. I love the story about uh, Robinson and, and Moritz. Uh, or Mo Wagner, uh, Wagner, yeah, excuse yeah. me. I love that story because most 21-year-olds don't function like that. Um, they they just, they just, they'd be like, okay, hey, you know, you're the coach. You're supposed to know it. Um, we're just going to go out and play. And that shows why uh, Coach Beeline has been so successful for so long with a lot of players that uh, – you know, other coaches would look at the the tangibles, the verticals, or the uh, yeah. the athleticism, or whatever. And he he has been successful with with a lot of players that have gone under the radar, and that's a big reason why because of the people they are and the work that they're willing to put in and yes. to to get into the weeds with and and be okay with doing pivots and fundamental work and 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 catching the and making sure the pass is hitting the outside hand and all those other things and I and I think that's just so impressive to hear that I had never heard that that side of things about him. Yeah, he was um he was just he's just really really good at that that part and uh, the guys, you know, they all knew he had his his own quirky ways and but that's true of every head coach and uh but they knew going back to you know what the out crazy, you know, coach, coach B wasn't trying to out crazy anybody, but he was maniacal and passionate about what he believed in mm-hmm. and it, and it worked and the guys knew it worked and they, it was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna, gonna take the, 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 a little bit of this crazy, uh, with the, um, you know, maybe the terminology and everything, but man, let me, let me just get this mm-hmm. and, and follow the plan. And, uh, at the end of, you know, two and three years, I know I'm going to be in a really good position to play, uh, win championship and play uh, some professional basketball. Yeah, and and I, another thing that I really think uh, you saw up close and personal with with Coach Beeline and Coach Smart, they were themselves in their in their. I mean, the two probably pretty different guys in a lot of different ways in the way they kind of carried themselves, but they were themselves and they didn't. They they've never tried to be anybody other than themselves for better or worse. And I think that's another thing. Sometimes we as coaches get caught up with. I need to be like this person, all right? You know, instead of oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to take this or that. But at the core of it, I've got to be me. I've got to be who I am, and I've got to believe in what I believe in. And Coach Beeline's philosophy and Coach Smart's philosophy overall about the game are pretty polar opposite. You know, with yes. the with the havoc of, and and all of that type of thing, and Coach Beeline with the spread offense and the shuffle cuts and all of those type of things. But they're themselves, and they're doing it in a much different way but they're both extremely successful with what they do. Yes, that's perfectly said. That's uh, they are polar opposites, but there's a lot of ways to do it, but she said and it's it's been a kind of a strength of mine along the way is just that, that they I'm very comfortable being being me mm-hmm. and I think that's so true um, for you know for everybody. And you got to kind of you cut your teeth a little bit in the, in the head coaching profession as a high school coach. And it's like, you kind of question like, okay, what am I doing here? And is this right? And, and that's part of like the growth uh, and the uncomfortableness of, of being a head coach and learning um, how exactly you want to do it. Because it's, I mean, look at every, every job that I took in the first year, it's, there were a lot of struggles and uh, Mm -hmm. losing records and, you just kept going and going and going and having faith in the plan and being who you are. And, you know, that's, uh, for me, the, that it, it over time, the people understand who's, you know, who wants to be in your program. You stay true to who you are. You'll attract the people that, uh, that, that, that are going to be there to, that fit and embody who you're about. Mm-hmm. Speaking of kind of being who you are, uh, you, uh, really became, uh, kind of an overnight uh, 
sensation, if you will. Uh, first year at Michigan, uh, you guys go to the national championship game. Uh, you know, Coach Beeline recognized that he needed to do more or or less, if you will, on the defensive side of the ball. So he turns the whole ball of wax to you, and that's how you kind of became known on on a. That's how you kind of got on the national radar, so to speak, Coach. Uh, but sometimes that can be kind of a double edged sword as, as you were looking to advance and you kind of referred to it, you know, the hardest part of going from a head coach to be an assistant was sitting the whole game and not being in charge of my own program. And, and now you're back in charge of your own program in Illinois, Chicago there. Uh, but there probably had to be some situations where, uh, or I, I shouldn't say there probably is. My question is, did you kind of get pigeonholed a little bit? And in some ways, all of this success and this notoriety that you got is this this great defensive mastermind in some ways maybe hurt you when you were going out looking for jobs. And, and, and some people said, well, hey, I love what you do defensively, but you know, yada, 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 some activities director, athletic director says, we want to run and gun and we want to sell tickets and, and that's the way we do it with offense and we need to do this or that or whatever the situation may be. Um, you know, did, did you run into any of those type of situations or no? I mean, the, the question would uh, it, it would come up um, for sure in, in the interview process. And, you know, part of having, um, you know, in the, in the, in the business, of, you know, you have an agent, and uh, they can kind of navigate some of that stuff um, up front, and just mm-hmm. what the what an athletic director is looking for. Um, but overall, it's you know I, I think the main thing is that you know navigating that question was for me you know very straightforward and and, and honestly just very simple um, because it's you know, I've, I had 15 years of you know being able to adapt and, and adjust and. Um, as a high school coach and, and learn from, you know, three really good coaches, mm-hmm. um, that knew both sides of the basketball, uh, you know, one in particular, coach B who was, you know, one of the best and, mm-hmm. um, taking, taking a look at that. And then as a head coach, the struggle, you know, and it certainly went through it, uh, last year and, you know, with COVID and then injuries, et cetera. And then, you know, guys in and out of quarantine at, uh, it, it definitely you know disrupted rhythm at times and and trying to kind of find out who you who we were as a team um but i, I think overall that uh, the main thing is that for us you have a a sound foundation of how you're going to teach you know shooting pivoting mm-hmm. catching and then once you can dribble pass and shoot um the other stuff um kind of whatever you run it gets a little simpler um when everybody can do that so recruiting to those fundamentals and developing those fundamentals it's something that um you know never left and i i think as a head coach the the main thing is and i i don't know some some clinic i got this at many many years ago um but i always wrote it down it's like the, the the speaker whoever it was 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 just talking he said you know it just uh it was kind of just how he, he he entered the conversation of talking to coach he said yeah you know what guys i'm gonna tell you something you know all these guys that you know you lose two games in a row or you lose three games in a row and, or you have a rough season and then at the end of the season at the end of the game you're kind of talking to the media and, and i've heard these people say like well you know we just got to get back to the basics <laughs> and you exactly. know, he just stopped. He's yeah. just stopped there, and he says, "You know what the heck are we doing?" <laughs> he said, "You don't you go back to the basics. Never leave them." Yeah. And I tell our team that to this day. I don't. I, again, I wish I could give credit to the speaker um, who said that, but I, I tell our team that all the time that in our program, like we're not going to go back to the basics, guys. We're never leaving them. There's going to be these four and five minute drills, which we call vitamins that we're going to do every day. And like, that's your, that's what we're doing. And that's how, how we're going to play and how we're going to be our building blocks. So I just think as a, you know, as a head coach, you, you, you have to go through some of those struggles, but being who you are um, and having those core things that you're going to be true to, you got it. You got to stick, stick to your guns in, in, in that, in that area. Absolutely, I, I love uh, I love that uh, saying there. Don't go back to the basics; just never leave them. Uh, that's yes. I, I I'm borrowing that permanently from you, Coach. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. It always reminds me of because that's it. Yeah, on every practice plan, 
yep. uh, for our staff to read. And um, anytime I try, you know, you find yourself getting fancy or getting getting away from this and that, it, it's it's just a good reminder um, that are we really are we really doing what impacts winning? And then the you know, the ultimate thing is just don't complicate winning. Mm-hmm. Just don't don't complicate it. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's something I've carried with me for a while and, uh, shared with staff and the team a lot. Yep. Really, really good stuff. Um, we're going to transition here, coach. Uh, we're going to go into the Don Meyer quote of the day at this time of the pod. We, we jump into the, uh, coach Meyer, the goat coach Meyer yes. quote of the day. Uh, and if you'd like to comment on this, uh, quote, feel free to do so after I, after I, uh, say it here. So. The Don Meyer quote of the day is, if you can do something and not blow your own horn, it sure sounds a lot better. Yep. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. It's the idea that, you know, if you, if you're, if you're, as the phrase go, if you're, uh, if you're good, um, you have to tell somebody. If you're great, they tell you. Yeah. And um, that's being humble. Um, in this profession, uh, if you are not humble, um, you will get humbled um, because very few people, um, experience just mass success all the time. And that's true of players. It's true of coaches. And, um, the, um, I think that it's a great quote, but, uh, being humble is, uh, and being able to be a, a learner uh, and grow from everybody and every situation is is really a key aspect of of life. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's it's not just basketball; it's your personal relationships. It's you, it's the other people that you treat in your job and all of that type of stuff. Absolutely. So, um, let's jump into uh, some some program building and and a little bit more X's and O's nerdy stuff here, Coach. Um, you just took over a program. Uh, you and I are kind of in the same boat. We both took over a program right at the beginning of a global worldwide pandemic here. Um, and just kind of curious to get your thoughts. You, you, you've got, you got through year one and, um, you know, what, uh, what was kind of your plan going into it and, and what were some things that, that you, uh, really wanted to emphasize when you took over, uh, at Illinois, Chicago, uh, what was your plan going into it? What are what do you think are the most important things coaches need to do when they do take over a new program? Whether it's has been successful, more often than not, when you take over a program, it's usually not not as successful. So, what are the things that that coaches should look to do to emphasize when they do that? Well, I, I, if I, I think the the ultimate ultimate thing going going into it is to make sure you know from a staff perspective. That you know you you are one hundred percent lockstep with the people that you're hiring, mm-hmm. and that 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 you're surrounding yourself with. Um, that that's that that's key. And then I, I think um, articulating over and over again in in the most basic and simple terms, um, you know, the the two or three things that your program's going to be known for. Um, is is really key and just continuing to emphasize that and for us if uh the one thing i kind of you know wish going back is you know i I think you have to the teaching kids the old playing hard is a skill and it's very true and i think i think for us one of the things the pandemic did was we didn't get to compete a lot Mm -hmm. um because every everything was it was choppy and it was you couldn't go five on five and we did compete in one-on-one but you just couldn't see things together and that was um you know i i think establishing your competitive what does it mean to compete in your program like i mean compete because you say well i'll coach everybody everybody you know plays hard or no they don't and it's a there's different levels of hard um and and different different forms of that so i I think that's establishing the competitive nature of your program the two or three things your program's going to be known for off the court um and then pick two things that you're going to be known for on offense and two on defense and just teach those Mm -hmm. just stay simple stay simple 
Um, how do you uh, how do you increase that competitiveness, um, especially with players that are already there and and, and maybe do not have the habits of true competitors? How, how how do you how do you grind that competitiveness into them? Well, I, you have to like I, I think that it's it's through you know practice design um, for sure. It's for them seeing you um, compete and then consistently uh, on a day-to-day basis uh, providing um, opportunities for them to compete and then keep in score. And that was something that quite flank, you know, quite frankly, we're in the middle of the summer is, uh, you know, we just didn't have a full summer on um, last year. We, we got together in a, at the Marriott hotel here in Chicago for, for a two week quarantine um, on July 6th last year. So, Mm-hmm. 366 days ago, um, <laughs> I met my players wow. um, for the first time after getting the job on March 31st. So it was a it was a strange, and you could talk about competitiveness and you can talk about it, but you you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that we've done this summer is, you know, we said as a staff, man, we didn't have any of this, so we got to teach. Um, and emphasize our two to three things. And, but then at the same time, everything has to be a competition. And we have a winner's board um, that after every sprint, uh, you know, if we run a 22, uh, the winner, he gets a W. Um, there's a weekly winner. They get the WWF belt um, that hangs in their locker room for a week for the winner. So I, I think everything being a competition and rewarding that um is key you know what gets measured gets done and um if you're measuring something let them compete for it um and then make that public now it doesn't need to be on twitter but it's in the gym our guys know um and then if you know on the flip side then when you're um teaching the competitive spirit that you know and, and everything has uh as a consequence, you have to be able to hold players accountable to that. So having a simple thing of, you know, you don't contest a shot, uh, you know, you're leaving the practice floor and you're going to, to get on the Versa climber. Um, you know, that's an accountability part that breeds competition. And so I think each thing in your program for, for us right now and how you know, envision building is that, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be gritty, tough, a tough-minded defensive team and just you know we did i did we get all that last year no um was part and parcel for you know my my you know what i i could have done better yes with the pandemic yes uh and all these different factors but i i think those those two to three things um on defense and offense if you want you want your guys to and and your and your young ladies to to buy in uh, to competing, you got to hold them accountable to that, and then you got to measure the wins and losses and everything you do, um, and give them a chance to earn that. So, I, whether it's again in a one-on-one drill, find out how they're going to win and lose, and you know, our guys go right over to the to the wall. So I, it takes an extra minute out of practice, but we just uh, we go put a W up on on the tally, and the guys that lose put an L up, and it hurts. Yeah, yeah, but they get into it though. Guys, they get into it. And they they let each other know, <laughs> and that's the peer pressure um, is the the last part of that question. That it it has to matter when they compete. Where 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 winning matters to the players, and they understand that it matters. You get that that iron sharpens iron mentality in the program, where they understand that this is this is the price of admission, hard work. And um, it's, you know, winning, uh, Coach Muller used to say, it pays to be a winner. And uh, though that was a a part of our program at at Illinois State, and we had, you know, competitive dudes and built a competitive uh, program that was based upon competitive practice expectations and a set of accountability standards that this was how it was going to be done. And, um, you know, just excited after you know, only four weeks now, almost in the summer in, it's we've, we've got a good spirit and, uh, and and that competitive culture that uh, we've we've tried to to really hone in on. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's the keys to putting together a a great practice uh, to have consistent 
great practices. And you kind of touched on some of that with the winner's board and, and that yep. type of thing. Uh, but but uh, beyond that, getting the most out of your practice that you possibly can. And, you know, no no team improves at a linear uh, pace at, at any point. Uh, but right. to make it as linear as possible, it's got to start with great practices, as Al McGuire would say. Uh, yep. So, so what's what's your what's your uh, process, and 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 what are you doing to to create a great practice environment and and having great practices? Yeah, I, I think the that's a that that is probably the that is the number one thing that I didn't realize and going back I, I i had to kind of reintroduce myself to practice planning because you know coach coach b had asked me all the time what do we want to do and i'd send him a lengthy list and then he'd cut that down to, <laughs> to four things and uh, and that's coach why Smart, he was in charge <laughs> no doubt and coach would do the same thing and it was you know like here's here's the list of eight things code we got to do these well we're only doing four so what's most important and I think the, that that part of the practice planning for me as a head coach was very – I spent more time in, on practice planning than I thought I would, um, but it was refreshing. Uh, but I spent a lot of my time practice planning. And then there was a point in getting into the question. I was like, why am I spending this much time? Because I'm doing too much. Uh-huh. I'm trying to do way too much. You know, I'm cutting out two minutes here of this drill and two minutes of that drill to fit in four minutes of something else. Does that four minutes really matter? So I think for me, after a while, it was like I, they're going back to my Joliet West practices. I looked, pulled out those plans, and I started to notice a pattern that, you know, we got in the gym and we did our, our warm-up. And then there was a, a fundamental thing that we did. Then we did a full court I started to look at Coach Beeline's practices, and I'm thinking, okay, then we, we did a warm-up, <laughs> and we did something full court, then we did some dribble and passing, then we did our shooting right in the middle. and like There were some mirror things that I was doing as a high school coach, but it was a consistent plan. Now, you, you want to avoid monotony all the time, but mm-hmm. your monotony can be changed by, by numbers and accountability, and you can manipulate some things that way and tweak some drills here and there. Um, but I think it's consistency that players understand what to expect every day. They're going to drill, do, do drills hard that are going to be um, scored. And no matter what, you're competing against that score every single day. And then I think the you have to have an understanding of how much time you're going to devote to offense and defense on a given practice, you know, coach B was, you know, if we had an hour and a half practice, you know, for 90 minutes, uh, we were, we were spending a good, easy 60 on offense. And I, I just had to know that like those 30 minutes that, you know, we got to do defense. I had to have those 30 minutes really well planned out and work with coach on what we needed to get done in those 30 minutes. Cause I knew that that was where he was going to do more offense and defense. I just, that was it. So mm-hmm. deal with it. And as a head coach, then to, uh, doling out that time. Um, and again, going back to what I had mentioned earlier on in the, in the podcast here is begin with the end in mind. Um, how long is the practice and what, what are we trying to emphasize this practice, but don't get away from what you want your team to be about. Um, so that consistent plan um, that fits what your team is about and not doing drills to do drills, but drills that have a purpose for getting players better and, most importantly, that fits into your style of play so that they can see, like, okay, the big picture, this is how drill A will help me in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, got time for one more, Coach? Always. All right, Awesome. And this one's pretty broad-based here. So um, your process, you know, uh, again, y- you, uh, you're you really, really good at preparation, you know, as I was preparing for tonight, uh, just kind of the details uh, that, that you put into putting your plans together and, and, and getting ready for uh, a game and, and your scouting reports and, and, and so forth and so on. So... Uh, just 
kind of go through that with us. What's uh, you're getting ready to play? Uh, I tell you what, you and you and Coach uh, Smart get back together, and Illinois Chicago is going to play Marquette. Um, you know, what's what's your process uh, typically? And and every game is a little bit different, but typically you're getting ready to play Marquette. Um, what's your process of, of getting ready for that and, and not only getting your, your team prepared uh, on the floor, but your process behind the scenes? How much film do you try to get in? How do you take that information and kind of narrow it down and, and get your teams ready and, and have them ready at the, at, the, at the highest level that you can have them ready uh, to go in and, and play the uh, – are they the Eagles now, Golden Eagles? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. All right, so – uh, yeah, just kind of go into that. So, I, I, you know, I think there's how you divide up your staff. Um, there's, you know, a couple, you know, ways that typically teams do it. You have, you know, three coaches that do the every other scout or like what we do and what we did at Michigan is just defensive staff, offensive staff. Uh, we all coached uh, positions, but it, it just how that's divided up. So for us, it'd be, um, you know, we have a kind of a, a document, a template that look at how a team's how we're going to attack a team offensively, and then conversely, how we are going to um, you know attack and uh, negate um, their offensive schemes. Um, so it's the big picture approach of I think what we would do is you know defensively is take a look at what's our transition defense need to look like. Uh, where's our pickup point at? Um, and then take a look at how we're going to defend, you know, one, two, three, four ball screens. What are we going to do with a five-man ball screen? Uh, how are we going to defend the post? Um, and then, you know, is there, what are we going to do on, you know, an out-of-bounce, out-of-bounce underneath defense? So you, you take kind of this big, again, begin with the end of my, the big game, the whole thing. Okay, how do we want to, within our system, defend this team um in those those given areas and then i think um what what then becomes you know we meet as a staff and determine like what is most important for our team then out of those six or seven things um offensively and defensively you're never going to get it all what are the what are the thing things that need to be practiced um and kind of get the get those things down for what we want to practice to execute the schemes. Mm-hmm. Then just determining what um, film that we're going to show to our team. Um, less is more um, when showing the other team, in my opinion, um, and making sure that you're concise uh, with your film. So the personnel film, we're going to show that. And, uh, you know, two days or three days before the game, depending upon how the week is laid out. And then we're going to go through our defensive game plan, go through our offensive game plan. And then, again, when it gets down to the drills, each of the coaches are going to, uh, you know, offensive staff, defensive staff, kind of talk about all right, what drills do we need to do. Um, and then within our within our system, what plays do we think are going to be most effective um, based upon how they guard um, our stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after each day of practice, I think it's important uh, within the practice that um, that you give, you have the players with the understanding that, guys, this is, this is how we're going to do it, and you also explain the adjustment. Mm-hmm. I think that is key. It's what we. It's a really big thing that we did at Michigan a lot. Is that, guys, we're going to start hedging, you know, this ball screen, um, but this is this is our adjustment, mm-hmm. and we pra- we practice that adjustment not as much as the the game plan, mm-hmm. but we'd have that adjustment so that if it was ever needed in a game, our guys felt confident and they knew that we had thought about stuff. Yeah, minimizes the panic that they're not going. Oh, oh, crap. Uh, Absolutely. we're changing everything. What are we doing here? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think over the course of your two days of prep or three days of prep that you show, um, your team defending actions and running actions against the other team. And then you show them it's the Bill Belichick uh, principle. And we did this at Michigan as well. Um, and we called it the checkerboard 
Um, so our guys had run a, run a play and we defend it. And then the next clip on video, it would be Marquette running that play. Okay. So our guys could see like, okay, this is how we defended the scout team. And then, okay, the next clip, okay, this is how, this is Marquette running the same play. Okay. All right. And then they're starting to put some connections together and that's got to be concise film. It can't be, um, you know, sitting for 50 minutes uh, watching the other team. It's got to be very concise. And then you just keep, again, sharpening the blade, um, if you will, on just those, the, the key, this is our the main things that we're going to have to be really, really good at mm-hmm. um, in this game and make sure those players know them and you practice them, you weave in the adjustment and making sure at all times, though, it's about what we do. I think that is a, a key thing. This is what we do. And they, again, we're going to, we hope that they have to adjust uh, to us. But having that consistent rhythm over the course of the season um, is really important, I think, for the team um, that they know, like, okay, we're playing Marquette. All right, we're sitting down. For personnel then the coaches are going to go over how we're going to cover each big defensive topic mm-hmm. and then we're going to go in there and we explain the why of every practice and then we're going to watch film of that practice in order to clean things up and then the next day we're going to sharpen that blade even more and then as we get closer to the game again making sure that we are we have the five or six things that we're going to really do down and that the players most importantly by game day can explain that and mo- and explain the why mm-hmm. um, to all that and then ultimately sh- show your personnel um, one more time um, for them uh, to look at just to review things have them talk out loud about uh, the personnel and about what's important um, and stopping each player and then reviewing the core tenants again defensively of okay what are we doing here what are we doing here and have them explain that again and just have that rhythm over the course of the entire season um i think the same preparation is really really key um so that your players get into that that season rhythm of okay we're doing this we're doing that and then their bodies get used to that and it helps um you know just navigate that season from a mental and physical standpoint as well mm-hmm. so that they're at their best. Yep. In, in your opinion, what's about the ideal film session time or the number of clips? What do you guys, you, you know, you use that word concise two or three times uh, there. What's, what's kind of your ideal time? Well, Coach B, you know, he's always he ran that uh, that sports code like it was a he was a magician um, <laughs> with that thing, and it would be you know you think about a minute a clip, um, so you know he would just say you know we're gonna we're gonna show 12, 12, 12 clips. You got twelve clips to show of of Marquette. Mm-hmm. What's so, showing? Yep. So yeah, twelve offense, twelve defense. So you're in there, you know, that first day. Um, you know, probably 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and then we usually send the personnel video to the guys. They can watch it on their iPads at home. We'll watch it again in a fast manner and go through personnel um, in, a, in about six six minutes, um, give or take. And that's kind of the what you just limit it to with, with your staff. you got six minutes to do personnel. We've got 12 offensive clips maximum, 12 defensive clips maximum. And that that's that's where we're at. It's this is going to be the focus of, of what we're doing, and that's usually um, kind of what we do. Then during the the middle of um, you know the preparation, it's you know, you're looking at about nine to nine to ten clips from practice, offensively and defensively. The next day, you cut that film time time down to fifteen or twenty minutes. Get out on the floor and keep repping it, and then just keep you know showing. Less and less um, as you go, and then that that game day shoot around, all that kind of stuff. You can get a little bit more film, particularly when you're on the road. Um, you know, you're sitting in the hotel. You, you can get a good thirty minutes of film in, you know, yeah. in a hotel room. Uh, maybe fifteen minutes offense, fifteen minutes of defense, and kind of get the big picture approach um, for the guys again, and kind of bring it all uh, full circle. Awesome, terrific stuff. Uh, any social media you want to plug for yourself or your program, any of that type of stuff you want to put out there? 
not at all. I uh, just anybody that uh, has any questions, uh, you know, they can um, you know email me, um, reach out them at Coach Yak. They can direct message me um, on Twitter. Um, need something um, else? You email it's l y a k l two at uic.edu. I'll be happy to help any coaches out there um, with anything or, or, or a follow-up. Do my best to get back in a timely manner and, um, you know, here to help. Uh, so that's the exciting thing about the profession is that, um, you know, we, we steal a lot from each other and uh, we talk uh, a lot with each other. And, again, most of us have gone through all of the same problems um, at some point. Yep. And at the same time experienced many of the same successes and uh, how you deal with success and failure are, you know, uh, they're both important. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Coach, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for your time here tonight. I know it's crazy busy time. Recruiting is, is getting going here and, and all of that, but uh, can't thank you enough. And I, and I hope you enjoyed your time on the podcast. I did. This is terrific. Uh, again, great job uh, with, uh, with your Twitter feed and, um, it's very informative and really excited about uh, continuing uh, to, to, to grow our relationship and, and looking forward to the next things uh, to learn from on, uh, on, uh, on your Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you hold the line a second here, I got to kind of pay the bills here real quick. Yep, uh, so uh, again, Luke Eklich, the, the uh, head men's basketball coach at Illinois, Chicago. Awesome to have him on the podcast tonight. Again, we want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. Uh, a pen and a napkin.com. Check it out. A pen and a napkin university. This week's topic, communication with your parents and your administration. A really, really important thing to, to invest in and come up with different ideas on how to address those situations. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. My name is Marty Plum. I want to thank you guys for listening. Coaches. As always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.